Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who provides. You are a God who is present. You are a God who is faithful. You are a God who is loving. And as we open up your word this morning, we want it to be more than just good information. We want it to be more than just words on a page. We want by your spirit for your word to transform us as we seek to to be led by you guide us lead us change us into the people you've called us to be and we pray this now in jesus name amen amen now uh thank you valerie for for reading that that passage and it's there's a fair bit in this passage. It goes over two, two chapters. I'm hoping that you've got that uh, in, in front of you there. Uh, we're at week six now. Can you believe it? Week six of, uh, of Ephesians. And today uh, we're looking at this passage, Ephesians 4, 17 through to chapter 5, verse 20. I've called it a life of contrast and you'll, you'll find out why in, uh, in a moment. Now, it's, it's really important, it's really important, and can I stress this, that as Paul writes a lot of his letters, but in particular Ephesians, Ephesians is six chapters long, right? We have gone through the first uh, three chapters, and Paul introduced us into chapter four. Paul intentionally, intentionally writes in these first three chapters that we've, we've, we've looked at for the last few weeks, about who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us, who is God, what is grace, how we appropriate faith, etc. So it's absolutely foundational theology to our understanding of how we are saved. Does that make sense? Chapters 1 through to 3 basically show us who is God, who is Christ, and how we are saved. Chapters 4 through to 6 lead from chapters 1 through to 3 to show then how we live as a result of chapters 1 through to 3. Does that make sense? Now that's really important because if you haven't read chapters 1 through to 3, what we're going to look at today, you could easily look at and going, oh, God says I've got to do this, 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 this and this and this and this and if I do that, that's how I get to heaven. Right? That's not how we get to heaven. So we're not saved by what we read about in chapters 4, 5, and 6. I, I want to stress this really importantly because people do get this mixed up. People think they, you know, they read this in isolation and go, oh, I'm reading, John, John preached the other day and he said, I've got to do this, this, and this, and this in order to be saved. No, you're saved by grace through faith. Remember Ephesians chapter 2? That's how we're saved, through the work of Jesus Christ. It's as a result of what Christ has done for us and our response to him, then this is how we live. Does that make sense? I'm stressing it, aren't I? And as a matter of fact, if we go back, can we just recap back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1? So Paul touched on this last week, and this is the start of the how you should live part of Paul's passage. And he says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He says it himself. Because of this, this is the life that you should live. This is how we should live. 
as a response to chapters 1 through to 3. Okay, we're saved by grace. I think I've mentioned this. Now, what I want to do today is I want to break up this, this fairly lengthy passage that crosses over two chapters. I've called it a, a life of contrast, and I'm going to look at four contrasts that we find in this passage. And the four contrasts are this. Unholy to holy, unloving to loving, dark to light, and foolish to wise. And this seems to be what, what Paul is, is pointing people to. You were once, you know, unloving, uh, sorry, unholy, unloving, dark and foolish. And now, because of what Christ has done, this is the life you now live into holiness, loving, light and wisdom. It, it, it's almost like, I guess, thinking of grace like a river. And we're, we're called to, to, to move into this river. Now, every now and then, uh, I don't know whether you know, but in, in, in particularly in creeks and in rivers, they get dammed up by rubbish, don't they? And they get clogged up and it stops the flow of, of, of the water. And we get stuck. We get stuck in this dammed off area. And a lot of the time, it's the, the way in which we live, the influence that the world may have over us. And so what Paul is kind of saying here is help us to overcome the, the damned up areas within our life to let grace flow. Does, does that make sense? And this is essentially what Paul is talking about. So let's go straight into it. We're going to look at the first contrast, which is unholy to holy. I'll, I'll read this part of the passage again so it becomes fresh again. Paul writes, So I tell you this, I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality uh, so as to indulge in all kinds of impurity, and they are full of greed." Now, what's Paul talking about? Now, we've talked previously about, about um, Jews and, and Gentiles, and he used this term again, Gentiles. Now, in the most basic sense, the term Gentiles basically means nations. It means the, the people of the world. And, and Paul is basically saying that we shouldn't live like the world lives. That's essentially what he's saying here. Now, if we, to, to think about this, that Paul has written this letter to the church in Ephesus, wasn't designed just to be read by the, the, the Ephesians, but to circulate around uh, the, the region there. But particularly in Ephesus, this was an incredibly worldly culture. They had many, many idols. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, one of their main idols uh, was Artemis, which was a and it, it was basically a very sensual idol. And if, uh, if you to look at it, it's almost pornographic in its, in its imagery. It's, it's just a focus on, on, on the flesh and, uh, and on promiscuity. Paul is saying, don't go back to this. This is what he's saying. You who are now in Christ as a result of chapters 1 to 3, what you have done is accepted grace through faith. You, you wouldn't go back to that. Now, it's a bit like, imagine a, a prisoner who has been in prison because of the people 
he is associated with and the deeds he has done. Imagine that prisoner has served his sentence and he's now out back in the community again. Um, should that prisoner go back and associate with the friends he had before he went to prison? Should he go back and indulge in the activities or go to the places that he used to frequent before he went to prison? No. But we see that happen, don't we? We hear stories of almost serial prisoners who, who serve their prison sentence, get out, and the first thing they do is go back and associate with these people whom they previously associated, go to the places, do the same things. And they wonder why there's this circular pattern of just ending back up in prison again and again. If a prisoner really wants to be rehabilitated and, and start a new life, they've got to find new friends and develop new activities and start a, a new life, true? A new life. Start from scratch, a, a, a lion in the sand. Or you could argue a bit like an athlete. There are people who are very good at, let's say, say running, and they, they practice really hard at, at running. But there seems to be, now I, this is not me, but it seems to be that if you want to go from being just a good athlete to an elite athlete, an elite athlete you've, you've got to do some very different programming in your exercise routines and your training. You can't just do the same thing and expect a different result, can you? It requires something different. It seems to be that this is what Paul is talking about. Now that you are in Christ... You start a new life. Let's continue on. He says, uh, that, however, is not the way you have learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, we know that we can't be like God as in without sin as long as we live on earth. But what we need to do is, is seek to live the life that he has called us to, a life of righteousness and holiness. I wonder sometimes whether as, as believers that we... We seek to live righteous lives while still engaging in old activities. A bit like the prisoner. I'm going to see if I can rehabilitate myself but still hang out in the old haunts that I used to uh, uh, habit. Paul is saying, put off the old life. Start a new life. Now, I know that there are some people going, well, some of my old friends, they need Jesus, don't they? And so does that mean that I'm not going to associate with my, my old friends? Well, it depends on what influence your old friends have over you, isn't it? And it depends, I think, on the attitude of all of this is because I'm going back to my old friends because I kind of enjoyed the stuff that we did before I was, became in Christ. And it's, a, it's an attitude change that says, I, I'm, I, I, love, I desire for them to have a new life as well, not so much that I want to go back to the way life used to be. And it almost seems like all we want to do is just value add Christ into our life. 
I want to continue to live the life that I lived before and tap into a bit of a bit of Jesus on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday evening. That's not a new life. Unholy to holy. The second contrast is this, un, unloving to loving. And we see it's in the next part of the passage. Let's look at this again. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up in accordance to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God, Christ, God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Unloving the loving. And Paul mentions, you know, unloving things such as speaking falsely and malice through the loving. And, and loving, as he says here, could mean speaking the truth. So it could mean becoming unpopular he does talk about anger now at some point he says you know not to let anger uh, remain with you anger can be good as long as it leads towards righteousness you know there's you've probably been the subject of people who have been angry and you can see that there are two attitudes if it's a loving anger it can actually motivate you towards a better behavior can't it but if it's a different type of anger it can actually be quite con condemning Make sure that anger is pointed in the right direction. Now, think about this. Now, I would imagine most of us in this room here um, are followers of Jesus, and you can think back to the. Can you think back to the time when you first gave your heart to Jesus? That first time when you trusted in Him. It may have been a process or a, a, a moment. Um, what was that like? And were you perfectly loving, patient and forgiving the next day? Can I, can I suggest probably not? Because all of a sudden you're immersed in this whole new understanding and even though your, your, your heart's been transformed there's a whole lot of else about yourself that needs to adjust to this new way of life, isn't there? It takes a bit of time. That's this word called sanctification, which means we're, we're, we're changed day by day, hopefully day by day, as we get closer to heaven. So I don't think we just wake up and suddenly we've got this all sorted out. If we did, why then did Paul bother writing chapters 4 to 6? If we had it all together... He's writing to this new church and basically saying, fantastic, you people have accepted Christ by faith. Now this is, 
Here's some, some simple instructions about how to live out your, your life. As I was reading this, I was reminded, and, and look, this is probably a story that many of you are familiar with, but the story of Corrie Ten Boone. The story of Corrie Ten Boone, uh, she was a woman along with her family who during the Second World War hid Jews from the Nazis. You, you remember this story. And look, it, it's, it's a horrible yet a beautiful story. Um, she, was, she and her family were, were captured by the Nazis and uh, sent to a current concentration camp because they were hiding, hiding Jews. And uh, a number of her family members died in horrific circumstances in those concentration camps. They were made to parade naked daily in front of the guards. They were humiliated. They were tortured. Uh, to, to a large extent, they thought their, they, their life would end in that concentration camp. Like I said, a lot of Corrie Ten Boom's family did. Corrie Ten Boom survived uh, that experience. And later on, after World War II, um, she, uh, she had this speaking opportunity to go around, around Europe and, ba and basically speak of her experiences, particularly of that of a, of, as a Christian. And on one particular occasion, she's, she's speaking in this place, talking about her, her experiences. And after the event, she's approached by a man, and she recognized this man straight away. This man was one of the guards. Now, he was one of the guards who stood watch over her, who whipped and, and tortured her and watched her parade naked daily uh, through the concentration camp. Imagine how you would feel being approached by that and all the memories that would come flooding back. This man comes up to her and says that he's become a Christian. And he came to Corey Ten Boone and said, Will you forgive me? What, what would you do? All of the horrible, horrible memories of her existence, seeing family members die, torture, humiliation at the hands of, well, one of these men. She said in that moment, she prayed silently. <laughs> what do you pray in a moment like that? She decided at that moment to forgive. And she said, at this moment, she became aware of like never before. It was a transforming moment for Corey Ten Boone when she offered forgiveness to one of her tormentors. It's a powerful, powerful story, isn't it? She's reminded of how much we have been forgiven by Christ. How much, therefore, should we extend that same love and forgiveness? Now, the point in all of this is, Corey Ten Boone could have refused to forgive at that moment, and, and quite understandably, we can understand why. That doesn't mean she's lost her salvation. She would probably continue to go on and, and, and serve and speak or whatever. But it's almost like God's giving this moment to sort of say, are you ready to step into this new life? And this new life involves forgiveness. And it's not going to be easy, but I tell you what, there are, there are blessings if you're able to step in that. 
And Corey Tenboon talks about the blessing of experiencing the love of God like never before. And she said, I would never, ever, ever experience that unless I had forgiven my enemy. What does that mean for us? And look, the reality is I don't think there's too many of us who have had anything like the experience that Corey Tenboon had. But Paul in in Ephesians here is talking about seeking to be loving and forgiving. And so often I think as we we are in tuned with what's happening in the world round about us and we see, you know, anything but forgiveness in the world round about us, it's easy to sort of go, well, I'm just that person didn't forgive and that person's showing bitterness and that person, why can't I? Well, why? Because Christ didn't call us to the old way of life. He's called us into a new way. And it's a, it's a way of life that brings an incredible blessing, blessing of love, forgiveness and grace extended to other people. Can you imagine like the, the blessing that that was for, for Corey Tenboon? We don't know much about this guard. What would that have done for the guard? Released him from the torment of, 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 of years of, of serving in that way. A double blessing, both for Corey Tenboon and the guard. I want to come into the third contrast, and that's darkness to light. And we see this in the next few passages. Let's just recap. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, as any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now are light in the Lord." Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You can live in darkness. What does it look like? It looks like it says here, greed, immorality, impurity. And in the end, it is idolatry. In the end, we make ourselves a God. We place ourselves at the center. We determine ourselves that we know what's best. Or we can live in the light and expose the darkness and I was thinking about this there there is a a physical darkness and there is a spiritual darkness but I think a lot of the time physical and spiritual darkness kind of coexist have you ever noticed most crimes happen at night why because people who commit crimes love the darkness there's a there's a there's a hiding of the crime now once again you know there's there are crimes that happen in broad daylight have you ever noticed most of the time these, these sort of things happen at at night this is a physical darkness but associated with that is a spiritual darkness 
And yet, for all of us, whether it's physical crimes or whatever, sometimes we also keep things secret or in the dark. Are there things in our life that we wouldn't really like anyone else to know about? Do you have secrets? Now I'm talking about secrets done in the physical dark, but could be in spiritual dark. People who maybe have fantasies. People who maybe are addicted to pornography. These are spiritual darkness. There might be some people who have secret financial dealings. We keep those in the dark. We don't want anyone else to know about it. Could be secret relationships. People we we connect with. And, and I think nowadays with our mobile phones and the internet, these things are far more tangible that we get addicted to, whether it is pornography, whether it is financial transactions, whether it is you know gambling, whether it is relationships that we probably should not be engaging in and that can be done so easily through our, our phones or the internet. These things do not bring bring life and at some point it's probably important for us to expose them to the light sometimes we need to to name these things now i think one of the best ways to think about this do i keep anything secret is if you have the knowledge that god sees you and your activities 24 7 is there an aspect of that that you find uncomfortable? That he sees a part of your life that you probably wouldn't want God to see. Now, we all know it's a truth that God can see all those things. That's absolutely truth. But thinking about that, is there an aspect of that that makes you uncomfortable? And if so, why is that? And if that's the case... Do you think you should continue to keep that secret? Now, that might mean you need to confess that before the Lord. I think there are many times when probably what's needed is to the best way to bring it out into the to the light and expose it to the light is to find somebody whom you can be accountable to. Someone loving, caring and mature whom you can confess these things to so that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can help each other overcome that. I've, I've had the privilege on a number of occasions to walk with, with such people. And it's, it, it's a privilege for, for someone who would con, confess and we can continue to, to catch up. And I've had that relationship with other mature people as well. And it's a beautiful thing when we can support, pray for each other and encourage each other to bring these things out into the light so that they can no longer be bound into the darkness. Is there something in your life that needs to be brought into the light? And the fourth contrast is this. Unwise to wise. or I think I mentioned earlier on foolish, foolishness to wise or unwise to wise. Let's have a look at this particular part of the passage. Verse 15. 
Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Being wise, not foolish. Now, I hadn't picked up on this um, until uh, preparing uh, this, this sermon. Can you see here that there seems to be a connection to wisdom through corporate worship? Can you, can you see that? Where he talks about um, seeking to be wise in all of these and how we, we work that out, speaking to one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. He's basically talking about what, what we've been doing here today. Can you, can you see that? A connection to engaging in, in worship together. Now, I was reflecting on that. What, what is the connection there? In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 uh, we read, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So uh, if we want wisdom, how to begin getting wisdom is to have a proper understanding of God, isn't it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A, a reverence for God, which is fear, not I'm scared of God, a, a reverence of God. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So when we have a reverence for God, it gives us proper posture. Now I'm thinking, in, in worship properly conducted if we're singing praises to God or we're worshiping we're worshiping by ourselves or encouraging one another with spiritual songs or whatever it is that they say here what we're basically saying is this is not about us is it worship is not essentially about us it's about us lifting up the name of Jesus it says here that's that's the beginning of wisdom so worship means in, in many respects, worship means God is on the throne. So we're placing you on the throne. We're not on the throne. Remember before I was talking about so often we make ourselves idols. We put ourselves on the, on the throne. Worship is basically saying, I'm not on the throne. God, you are on the throne. So worship in some ways is a dethroning moment. I'm going to step back and I'm going to give God his rightful place. And we can allude to that as saying that's the beginning of wisdom. That then is how we should live. So the question is, how do we make this lifestyle happen? So we've looked at we've looked at these these passages, Ephesians four seventeen through to five twenty. How then do we do it? Do we just try harder? Are we just going to get you know? really steal ourselves tomorrow I'm going to start and I'm going to try really hard to be a really good Christian hmm okay what about Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 what does it say there Zechariah it says not by might nor by power but but how by my spirit says the Lord Almighty we, we can't do it on our own. We can't. We need the Lord's help. He needs to guide us. 
So it's the Spirit's work in us that is ultimately going to, to do the work. Now, I find it interesting that there's a couple of references to God's Spirit in these passages that we've just read, one in the negative and one in the positive. I want to go back to the one in Ephesians 4, verse 30, where Paul writes this. He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We, 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 we read that. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is not this impersonal force or is an object. He is a person, the third person of the Trinity. And if we live, continue to live in the old lifestyle, if we continue to harbour secrets, if we continue to seek darkness over light, we push the Holy Spirit away and the Holy Spirit is pained. And it says that we grieve. The Holy Spirit has, has feelings that he is pained by the decisions that we make or the lifestyle that we live. Is this what you want? Do you want to grieve the Holy Spirit? But... We move further on down to the last part of our passage and it says here, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Seek the Spirit to transform us. To seek to say, have your way in me. I place you on the throne. Lead me and guide me. Move me from being unholy to holy, from unloving to loving, from the darkness into the light from foolishness to wisdom. Holy Spirit, have your way in me. So I'm going to ask these questions. What is it that you need to let go of today? And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask if we can just um, pause and, uh, and pray. And as we've been reflecting on this passage, we think about the, the new life in Christ. God is on the throne. Christ has done this amazing act of, of love and grace. We have accepted that and we're living as a, as a child of God. And as we walk out this, this new lifestyle, we thank you, Heavenly Father, for what you have given to us in Christ. Grace through Christ, comfort through your Spirit, instruction through your Word. Help us to be able to walk that out. And yet, Heavenly Father, we, we recognize there are parts of our life that we just seem to drift back into the old lifestyle. Attitudes, behaviors, desires, secrets. Heavenly Father, by your Spirit, I pray that you would reveal those things to us right now. Those things that are not of you and do not belong to the Christ-like lifestyle.
we acknowledge them Heavenly Father we recognise that those things are not of you and they're not part of the life that you've called us to we recognise them we ask for your forgiveness for drifting back into those attitudes, those behaviours, those secrets. And we just pray, Heavenly Father, that if we need to take more action, that you would lead us to a loving, mature follower of Jesus whom we can be accountable to as we seek to bring those things into the light. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for what you have done for us. That we don't need to do anything else in order to be your child. But we desire to live as children of God. Strengthen us by your spirit each day to live as you've called us to live. Holy loving, children of the light and wise. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>